0: So today on Vulnerable, I have the honor and pleasure of speaking with Elizabeth Sneed. She is an activist and an athlete. She is a plus-sized model and a designer, and she has an amazing evolution from a terrifying incident when she was 14 years old in the ocean and almost drowning to then becoming a, I would say semi-pro surfer, but she is an unbelievable person and we get to talk to her today on Vulnerable. I'm Christy Carlson Romano, and this is The Vulnerable Podcast. I'm very excited to meet you, and I'm so honored that you would come on the podcast because a a lot (laughs) of... I'm stoked to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a lot of times I'll like sort of have my resources of like people that I already know and people that I've already collaborated with because they feel like they are feel safe enough with me where they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go on, you know, her podcast. And of course it is called Vulnerable. So I've got to think that people are probably like, hey, what are we talking about on this podcast? So I I think we reached out and you were on this like very, very short list of amazing people that I was like immediately, oh, immediately like taken to though, just based on their your handle alone, and then everything else that so succinctly encapsulates your message and your brand. So Aww. so Elizabeth is- You're so kind, ev- Christy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
2: no, like, I- blushing over here. <laughs> good,
0: I'm glad. I want to hype you up. We all need to hype <laughs> each other up right now, you know? Um,
2: Absolutely.
0: So uh, Elizabeth is an amazing surfer. She goes by the Instagram handle and other handles, I'm sure, but it's uh, Curvy Surfer Girl. And I would love to chat with you about like your evolution into, you know, your love of surfing. Uh, You said you mentioned to me that you were born in Texas, but then you you're now Hawaii is home. I'm probably butchering saying that. (laughs) It's okay. You're doing great. I'm proud of you already. I I definitely used to call it ukulele and somebody said, it's an ukulele. And I was like, gosh, dang it. I just didn't say it right. It's okay. You know,
2: sometimes when you explain the Hawaiian words, it helps with the pronunciation. So like uku is flea and lele is to jump. So it's like a jumping flea.
0: That's adorable. It makes ukulele. it makes the, it makes that instrument even cuter than I thought it was before. Right. Yeah, the
2: Portuguese <laughs> called it that. They're like, oh it looks." or the Hawaiians called it that when they saw the Portuguese playing it. They're like, oh, it looks like a jumping flea. And they called it ukulele.
0: Wow, I didn't even know that the ukulele was a Portuguese contribution.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the Hawaiians uh, mastered it. I mean, as you know, oh, yeah. like, it's they definitely did. Such a big part of our culture here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. Welcome. Welcome. And thank you. Yeah, no. And this is, I mean, you're on your phone, but I think it sounds and looks amazing. So just know that.
2: Well, I'm in my brand new little uh, home office studio that I'm converting, which is I just announced yesterday. So you're the first person I'm ever talking to in this space, which I am so stoked. We're christening it right now. We're blessing now. it.
0: Like, we're blessing we
2: it. We are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I saw that on your stories. I also saw that you were recently in New York. I was. Yeah, I went to New York to do a press tour because uh, Curvy Surfer Girl just received our first sponsorship with Joe Lynn. Okay. And so I had this vision like a year ago that I wanted to juxtapose surfing against like a big city mm-hmm. um, to really share the message with a broader audience around the world. Because most people think like when you think of female surfing, we all, you know, have the vision of a young, petite, blonde woman. Roxy. And so I wanted Immediately,
0: to Immediately Roxy. Right. Right. Like every <laughs> Okay, so every millennial girl. When they thought of that, I mean, I would think that we thought of Roxy and the perfume. I know I had that perfume. I think my first reel when I moved to California... To start acting there with Disney, I think my first purchase, one of my first purchases was like a, a bikini from Roxy in Universal City Walk. And I was like, oh, I live in California now.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. I remember buying Roxy when I was a little girl too. And I even yeah. named my dog Roxy. So. I named oh. a
0: dog Roxy. That's crazy. <laughs> it's a great yeah. name, to be fair. It's it a is. very fun name. And yeah. Did it, it stand is. for anything? Did Roxy actually like actually stand for anything like, um, I know the that one? their Basics? logo
2: is really cool. Like if you look at their logo, it's actually a heart in the yeah. shape of a mountain and a wave. Oh yeah. Together. Okay. So cool. like that's a really cool, fun thing about them. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've just like for so long, you know, we've only seen one version of yes. a female surfer. 100%. And so about a year ago, I was like, you know what? I want to juxtapose like capitalism, patriarchy against the cities that promote all of that and kind of stand in rebellion uh, with my surfboard in the middle of this concrete jungle, you know, because it's also like opposite of nature. It's all, you know, man-made construction. And so I went and I did that. Joe Lynn was like, "Let's go," you know, and awesome. and we went to New York and we did it. I walked in the middle of Times Square with my bikini and my surfboard, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it was a big hit. It's gone viral since, and nice. I'm just happy that more people can see it. You know, because I know a lot of there's so many people around the world that don't even have access to coastlines, and I was one of those people most of my life. Mm, so I wouldn't sweet. have even been aware that this was an issue if. You know, there weren't people kind of reaching out from coastal places and connecting with middle America and other parts of the world that don't have oceans.
0: Interesting. Um,
2: so it's just, you know, it's an olive branch to try to invite more people to re-examine that narrative that's that's been going on for like 60 years.
0: Gosh, yeah. I want to go back actually too, like from the beginning. So yes, you said that when you were growing up, you remember seeing the Roxy girl archetype, whatever you want to call it. And what was that like for you? When did, let t- let's talk about your story. When, when did you first realize your love of, of the ocean and, and decided to surf? What was that like?
2: Well, it was a long time coming because I grew up in northeast Texas. So mm-hmm. I grew up on the border of Louisiana. Like I was like 45 minutes away. Yeah. And so, you know, we grew up in lakes and ponds. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like surf culture in that early 2000s era was part of pop culture. Oh, it was uh, and a total poser lifestyle. Oh, yeah. It no. was.
0: <laughs> it's like you didn't even have to live near the water, but you could have a puka yeah. shell necklace, you know? Right.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, it was all the rage. So, I mean, like yeah. surf culture kind of penetrated the world through that uh-huh. period. And of course, it reached me and my little mall in Tyler, Texas, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Blue Crush, right? Blue Crush. Blue Crush, right? My <laughs> my best friend now, Kayla Kennelly, is in that, which is oh just gosh. wild. <laughs> That's
0: mind-blowing. But you know you're doing something right, I guess, if you're lining up with all that. <laughs> I know, I know.
2: And she's such a gem of a person. Good. So anyways, right? So I knew of surf culture, but like, obviously didn't really connect because I grew up a like starkly different lifestyle.
0: Mm-hmm. And so in
2: 2012, I was in college, I took a trip to Waikiki, because it's something I wanted to do my whole life.
0: Okay, and I just
2: took a solo trip and stayed in a hostel. And um, wow. I was actually mortified of the ocean, like literally terrified. <laughs> I had almost uh, died in Ooh. Mobile, Alabama, I went to do the um Hurricane Katrina relief Mm -hmm. cleanup efforts at that time. Mm -hmm. And a couple of my friends who were swimmers on my high school swim team were like, hey, Liz, why don't we go swim out to this sandbar? Were you a good swimmer? I was not. And I told them this, but they were like, you can do it. It's only Mm. a 10 minute swim. You can Mm. doggy paddle. We're right there. So I make Mm. it out to the sandbar. And then on the way back, a like literally, I don't know how it happens in the Gulf, but almost instantaneously. A giant thunderstorm clouds rolled in. The ocean became a very hostile place. And me and three other girls were swept out to sea.
0: And um, the Coast Guard didn't see us. Literally my flipping nightmare. Literally my nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, it was a nightmare. I mean, it's
2: absolutely terrifying. And you're just swimming and it's a treadmill. Like you can't go anywhere. And so we end up getting, of course, exhausted. And the only thing we can do is like float on our backs And eventually I formulated a plan to try to make it to the pier because the pier was about a quarter mile out and we were pretty far, but I'm like, if we can make it to one of those concrete pier poles, we can hold on until someone can rescue us. Well, the Coast Guard didn't see us. They got the other teenagers off the sandbar Mm. and it was ultimately a fisherman that found us and instructed us how to get back into shore. And we survived it, but just barely. We actually watched another teenager uh, not in our group, drown in front of us. <gasps> oh So, my gosh. I mean, it was like really close to being the end of me. Oh. And I became obviously mortified and I have like a form of PTSD around that experience that developed. And so I went to Hawaii, right, like six years later, because that okay. happened when I was 14. And now fast forward, I'm like 2021. 20, yeah. And I come to Hawaii and I was like, I'm not going to bother with the ocean thing. I'm just going to do like tourist stuff. Sure, but I had this like calling that was very powerful to go. Like Moana style, it was Moana. It really was. It was like in my chest, and it was like a magnet towards the ocean. And I was so scared. I'm like, why do I have this calling to go towards the ocean? And so eventually, I decided, okay, if I have to do this, I need a plan
1: because Uh I'm not going
2: to go drown myself again. Wow. So yeah, uh, I I I met the Beach Boys in Waikiki. And they uh, do surf lessons, and they put me on a surfboard for the first time. The and Beach I was Boys, like, the Beach Boys. So the, the, be- actu- I'll, I'll, the, the actual, beach- well, not the band, okay. but in Hawaiian <laughs> culture. So we'll give you a little Hawaii history lesson. Please do. This is good I am. For everybody. I
0: am. I am absolutely ignorant, and so please. It's teach okay. Me. Okay.
2: Most people are, so that's why I'm here. So the Hawaiian Beach Boys started at the turn of the 20th century. So in the early 1900s, um, Hawaiian watermen and women would line the beaches of Waikiki to greet the tourists that came in.
0: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air?
1: For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points.
0: Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air.
1: Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.
2: And the famous Duke Kahanamoku was one of these men, along with a bunch of others that have been, you know, uh, they've they've gone down in history as our legends. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is, when uh, trans-Pacific flights started, and then sailing because sailing was a big part of travel in that time period, mm-hmm. they would come to the beaches of Waikiki. But they didn't know how to swim, how to surf, how to canoe paddle. Mm-hmm. And so the local Hawaiian men and women would take them out and teach them and make sure that they were safe. And they were actually the first ever lifeguards in the world. Makes the sense. lifeguard service came from the beach boys and then went global Interesting. and they invented a lot of the uh rescue tools that we know today like the little uh floaties the buoy and- yeah 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 the buoy and mm-hmm. the jet ski rescues a lot of that came over time developed from the beach boys and the lifeguards here on uh hawaii
0: yeah so the, re- the, the I- red the red um baywatch swimsuit though they didn't do that i don't think they did
2: that no <laughs> but they came up with the whole concept for all of this.
0: That's amazing. And
2: so they are literal local legends. Everybody that lives in Hawaii knows the Beach Boys. Got it. And they were the first people that I met on the beach in Waikiki. So How did you How real- did you
0: meet them if you were just staying at the hostel and you had you never surfed before?
2: I mean, it's a great question. It's chance, serendipity, wow. destiny.
0: I don't really know. <laughs> destiny, for sure. Because let me tell you, what I find really interesting, too, about your story when you, when you were 14, and if you don't feel like talking about it, like, we don't have oh, to. Oh, no, I'm an about. open book. Okay, so what I found really interesting and what it seems like you've brought to intellectualizing your sport and your, your um, contribution to it, and even it sounds like where you- live now is that you thought strategically about how to save yourself in the water. Whereas I'm sure your friends who are much better swimmers than you weren't thinking as strategically and you were like, No, I'm gonna be the leader and I think we should go and find that 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 spot to hold on to. So you actually, whether you realize it or not, you actually saved your friends' lives too. So
2: Yeah. It was definitely teamwork. I mean, we all had to work together to get there. And, you know, at that point, when you're in the ocean for like three hours adrift at sea and you don't understand how riptides and currents work, you know, what you're supposed to do. And maybe this podcast will save somebody's life because I'll share with you what you're supposed to do. Okay, If you ever get into a riptide that's pulling you out to the ocean. Got you it. don't swim against it towards the shore. You swim parallel with it. Got and it. eventually the current will weaken and you can just veer off to the shore. So smart. Now, I did not know this at the time and neither did any of us. You know, we were li- I was living in Arizona where I moved when I was like 14 to live with my aunt and uncle. Right. So I was not ever exposed to the ocean. I didn't know these things mm-hmm. and neither did any of my friends. So we started swimming Against the current to the shore, and it's a treadmill. Like right. you can't fight the ocean. It's you're almost not like enough.
0: it's almost like when you hit a skid of ice and you're driving, and your instinct is to hit the brakes, but then you actually catch the ice, and then you end up you end up that actually ended up happening to me in Colorado this last winter, where my husband and I both got caught on the way back to the airport in in black ice, and I had my two children in the car, and he had taken a separate rental car. And it was really terrifying. And what I realized was, is in taking his advice, it was exactly that. It was that concept of go with it. And then eventually you will slow down. And and then you'll, like you said, you'll be able to veer off. And, you know, yeah, that is really great advice. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it's something that, you know, as a tourist to a place with oceans and different natural patterns, you know, maybe you'll learn something here just from the conversation that's life-saving because it, it is important to know. Yeah. And one of the things you can always do to stay safe, no matter where you go is make sure you're swimming by a lifeguard tower. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately not all beaches have them. So, mm-hmm. you know, just do your research, mm-hmm. but that's what happened with us. And, you know, of course your muscles start to atrophy. Oh. Like they literally just stop working after Jesus. so many hours of trying to swim. Okay. And there's nothing you can do about it. Your body just starts to shut down. So then, so, did you
0: did you tell the Beach Boys when you were approaching a, your first surf lesson? Okay, what was that yes, like? I
2: did, yeah. and they were super like some of the most kind, compassionate people on the planet. Yeah, uh, I think they deal with a lot of people who are scared of the ocean and don't mm-hmm. understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're uniquely qualified. I mean, they spend their whole entire lives from childhood until. Most of them until the end of their lives as beach boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really understand the ocean. They understand people, mm-hmm. um, you know, human psychology, how we move biomechanically. And they're just uniquely qualified as a special group of people in the world to help usher us into the oceans and build a relationship that's safe and healthy.
0: That's awesome. All right. So you told them and they were very compassionate. What was it like to step foot on that board for that first time and catch your first wave? What was that like?
2: It was simultaneously terrifying and blissful. When so growing up in Northeast Texas, like I said, we'd only ever seen ponds and lakes. Mm -hmm. So this was the first time in my life I had ever seen crystal clear turquoise water. And so I was like in it and it felt like I went into the elixir of heaven. You know what I mean? Like it was the most beautiful water I'd ever seen. And it's, it surrounds you like everywhere you look. So I was raptured by the beauty of Hawaii. And then I had this wonderful local man with me guiding me literally, you know, with his hand into the ocean And we look back and he's like, okay, are you ready to catch your first wave? And I'm like, as ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) And he, you know, launches me into the wave and I stand up. And to this day, it's the happiest feeling I have ever felt in my entire life. That's amazing. It's transformational. It's transcendental. um, Wow. It's just the most pure feeling of joy you'll, you can get as a human. In That's awesome.
0: And we gotta, we gotta say, I mean, you must have had a natural ability to do this because I don't have a natural ability. I have tried to surf and I have very weak core. I have a very in after kids, even weaker. I'm trying, it's gonna be something I have to tackle. But I grew up being like sort of in dance and stuff. So I thought yeah. I had a I thought I had a pretty solid core, but I don't think I did. And then I went out to California, like I said, and I bought my Roxy swimsuit and when I did some version of a, like, I went to, I remember it was Carlsbad, and I went and I took surf girls, they were called, and I I um, I um went and I took, you know, this very female focused class, and I thought it would be really helpful, and it was, like, I think I caught my first wave, and I, I know what you're feeling. I think the water has something to do with that experience as you talk about it, because we were down in the cold water with the wetsuit and the scratchy yeah. sand, and, like, there were a little bit of, there was a little bit, like, I was in my head about it, and- sure. I've been to Hawaii and I've 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 I, I know exactly what kind of bliss you're talking about cuz the, the there is just a vibe there that is so special that needs to be preserved. Yes, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, Yeah, okay. you're right. So, and you must have
2: say- surf breaks have different, you know, uh what do you want to call it? Different outcomes for surfers, right? Like okay. Hawaii is some of the best longboarding waves in the entire world. Like and optimal. And that's where yeah. And awesome. so that's where I got to take my first surf lesson. And Perfect. I mean, there really isn't anything like it. I mean, you can't go from like Hawaii to anywhere else and yeah. and not feel spoiled.
0: Oh so. man, you know what then? Next time I go to Hawaii, I'm going to either call you. Yes, please do. <laughs> or I'm going to, or I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it another shot. And you've already sold me on it even like not even halfway through this talk. So I, I think you would really appreciate it
2: with the right surf instructor and conditions. It will change your life. And it's not I love that. it's not as hard as people make it out to be with the right equipment, teachers and conditions. You know, it's actually really easy when you've got all of that aligned. But you. what do
0: you think, though? Like, is it one of those things like you said, it's so- somewhat transcendental. But do you feel as though it is freeing in that way where it's like I'm very much in my head about every little thing and it's mm-hmm. a pro- it's definitely a problem. Um, it's anxiety. There's anxiety. There's so much that's same.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then- I have really bad anxiety. So
0: I'm right there with you. Okay. So then do you feel like once you've, you know, once you're on the water, it's all gone. Does it all leave you?
2: You know, being surrounded by the ocean is definitely a calming effect. I mean, I think we have to realize as human beings, we are inside in unnatural environments, 90% of our lives now, yeah. and we are biologically engineered to be in nature. Yeah and so when we go back to nature there is a sense of calm relief peace because that is where we were built to be mm-hmm. um and the ocean is one of those spaces we are biologically engineered to be you know amphibious mm-hmm, so i i do think that it is uh it has a very calming effect mm-hmm. now of course the mind is super powerful and one of the things i experienced when i first started surfing um, was a lot of insecurity around numerous areas of my life. I started okay. surfing at the heaviest I'd ever been. Okay, I was obviously coming through psychologically that. Uh, near drowning experience and now being in the ocean for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I was still really scared just to be in the water. Yeah, And then three, you're looking at people that are really skilled all around you doing what you're trying to learn.
0: Comparison, comparison, comparison. Yeah, it is hard. It is. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean.
2: So you've got body image expectations, you've got fear of the natural elements, and then you've got, you know, intimidation from everything around you. But if you can just stay focused on what you're there for and you can focus on you having your best experience and listening to your instructors, when you are on a wave, I will tell you this, no matter who you are, you don't have your brain chemistry doesn't have the ability to get anxious because you're just solely focused on being on that surfboard in that wave. And so it is very liberating for anybody that has anxiety and and is an overthinker Mm -hmm. because in that moment, there's nothing else your brain can focus on. You're just focused on balancing and smiling and soaking it all in. And then when you get done, you're like, okay, I'm ready to go again. And then you Mm -hmm. might have another cycle of like, you know, intrusive thoughts, but then you get another wave and they go away. You know? hey.
0: Well, and you see a lot of people depicting themselves as sort of the surfers in the clusters kind of sitting and waiting for the waves sometimes. And I, I wonder, is there sort of a meditative quality to sort of just chilling on the water in some ways? Or does that not happen in Hawaii? Oh, yeah. Any- no, okay. it's
2: super meditative. You just okay. so when we're in those are called lulls, which is mm-hmm. in between where there's waves coming. So in the lulls, you know, you just get off your surfboard and you prop your upper body on it and you just look at all the beauty around you. And in Hawaii, it's magical because you're surrounded by mountains and crystal clear turquoise water and turtles swim up to you and dolphins kind of swim by sometimes and you just feel like you're in a magical fairy tale. That's you know, so, cool. so it's very meditative and relaxing.
0: Okay. All right. So now y- you were encouraged by that, that, that trip, that experience, then what did you end up doing? So it took me
2: five years. I moved back to Arizona to finish my, um, degree program. I ended up living in Switzerland and Washington, DC. Wow. Um, and then, you know, I was in, I was, A a political person. I was a government relations lobbyist professional for like 10 years. Okay. And so I was in this role uh, where I was an environmental lobbyist. And I was just like, you know what? All I want to do is go and become a surfer and live in Hawaii and find whatever nine to five job I can do to like support this dream of living out there. And you know, everyone's dreams are different, (laughs) but like that was my personal dream. I felt at home here. I felt like my spirit had you know, just Left. connected
0: mm-hmm, and,
2: mm-hmm. um, I needed to go back home and Hawaii was my like internal home. Wow! So after five years, all the doors opened like really miraculously. And I, uh, I was hanaid, which is to be adopted in Hawaiian culture by a local Hawaiian family who uh, I still am very close with to this day. My sister and I are actually going to go surfing this week together.
0: Aww. Um,
2: And everything just unfolded for me. And so it was kind of like a destiny happening. And I never thought in a million years that, you know, going from taking my first surf lesson in Waikiki to becoming the woman I am today Mm -hmm. would have ever been possible for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's life. You know, it's mysterious
0: and it twists and turns and here we are. Oh my gosh. I don't know why. This is reminding me of when... Okay, so do you did you ever watch Johnny Tsunami growing up? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. I had Brandon Baker a couple Christmases ago. We ended up... I was cooking on my YouTube channel for a while, and I ended up having Brandon Baker, who ended up becoming like an ordained minister or something. I don't know if he's ordained. No, maybe he is though, because he said he does people's like... um like nuptials on the mountain of like of uh, in Colorado, and he like wow. he still has like that snowboarding th- side of him, but we made Hawaiian fried rice, and he had said that it was like his family's recipe, and um it was really fun because it was something that I guess they did every christmas and um and and it's kind of just throwing me back to to Brandon and how great he is, and I just kind of wondered if you if you knew if you had ever also grown up knowing about that kind of <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely. I mean, even Stevens was always on the Disney channel in my uh, house. So yeah. I know about you guys a lot. Like yeah. that was that and like Raven Simone and Hilary Duff, you know, uh-huh. like all of you guys, uh-huh. that was, that was what we all grew up on.
0: Okay. So real talk though, what does the, the mainland media get wrong about Polynesian culture?
2: Oh, wow. This is a, such a deep, beautiful question. I hope I have the strength and wisdom to answer it well, <laughs> Polynesian culture is so incredibly beautiful, even the language Olelo Hawaii mm. when you speak or listen to Hawaiian language, it is so layered even mm. within its meanings.
0: Mm-hmm. The
2: places have all been considered sacred here for many years, and the Polynesian people so intricately understand the balance of the human condition with nature and have become masters of it, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. from La'al, La'pa'al, which is the traditional healing arts through plants and, um, and, and old you know knowledge being combined to mm-hmm. surfing. I mean, surfing was invented here mm-hmm. in Hawaii and throughout Polynesia. Mm-hmm. Um, the diving, fishing, agriculture... It's actually a very advanced civilization that really does not get the credit internationally that it deserves. Mm-hmm. I would almost compare it to, like, Egyptian culture. Mm. Egyptians receive lots of praise for how advanced they were. Right. Um, but Hawaiian people were some of the greatest navigators in the entire world and Polynesians as a whole. They mm-hmm. could navigate to a speck on the earth just using the stars and natural trigonometry geometry. Yeah. And they have now in the modern day been credited as the greatest wayfarers of human civilization. Right. But these are things that are not often popularized due to um, the racial tensions that we've, you know, had in, in society up until the 60s when we had the civil rights movements. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. a lot of these accomplishments couldn't be applauded on the level that they deserve. But so Holons- Polynesian culture is extraordinary. Mm-hmm.
0: Polynesians were just grouped into the exotic, essentially like the uncivilized and exotic prior to sort of that sort of wider range of thought. Yes, that makes but they sense. were
2: actually super talented astronomers. Of course, Um on land and on the ocean. It's like actually, um, and I and I
0: don't mean to keep bringing up Moana because I know that that is not based in an actual policy. We, we all love Moana. Okay, we, no, Moana
2: has some some good significance to but it.
0: But that thing about her, I also have these two kids, and they make me watch these movies over and over again. So I'm kind of brainwashed. <laughs> Is they, they say like, oh, you know, you have to like, you know, th- she's wayfaring through this this demigod, you know, and she uses her hand and it's those principles of being a wayfarer that I I think are actually really empowering to male or female like it's 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 to whoever. It's it's applicable for everyone in the in the culture who's who's willing to receive that that uh, that knowledge. So that I loved about Moana amongst uh, many other things. I think she actually you know I I had played Belle and I did I do love Belle because she's you know the literate princess. But yeah, I, Moana is a very yeah. close second, if not tied. Um, and I just, I've loved her ever since I've seen that movie. And um, we, we
2: all love Moana here too. And, <laughs> it, and there's a lot of good, like, even within the storytelling, it is mm-hmm. pretty accurate. Like her double-hulled canoe. Um, Mm -hmm. that is representative of the double-hulled canoes that they use to sail around the world. Uh Um, I mean, it's so cool because, so I love the Bishop Museum. A -hmm. lot of people don't know this about me, but I love studying Hawaiian and Polynesian culture. It's just like one of my favorite things to uncover. Uh Because the mythology, the history here is just so amazing. And it's been preserved by so many generations of Hawaiians Mm -hmm. um, so that the world can have it and of course, the principle of aloha is here. Mm-hmm. So, anywho, uh, at Bishop Museum, they talk about the hōkulea, which mm-hmm. is the double-hulled canoe mm-hmm. that they reconstructed, and that's you know presented in Moana. Awesome. So there is a lot of like historically accurate things in Moana, which is cool.
0: Well, good for them. They did their job. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> they did their job. Um, okay, so uh, geez, I mean, there's so many amazing things that you just said, um, and I mean, you have lived so many lives. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh God, Christy, you're chatting. great. <laughs> I've lived like so two, you. and you've lived like a bajillion. It's amazing. No, no, so, I
2: just j- dive into stuff, you know.
0: <laughs> so you, you were, you said you were adopted by a family. What was that adjustment like when you like left the mainland and, and then officially went there? You went there, you you gained access to Hawaii because you were adopted or you were adopted after?
2: Uh no, I had so when you moved to Hawaii, it's yeah. I don't know if most people know this or not it is the most isolated landmass on earth. We are yeah. 3000 miles away from the nearest land. Mm-hmm. Um, so to move here is such an ordeal, like yeah. financially and otherwise, it's, mm-hmm. it's just a huge transition. Mm-hmm. And so I needed a place to call home base for mm-hmm. like the first three months so that I could find housing so that my belongings, my vehicle could get shipped over. Mm -hmm. And I met my Hanai sister in Arizona and we bonded and connected immediately. And, um, they moved back home to Hawaii and I called them one day and I said, look, it's time. Like my journey is unfolding and I, I need a place to call home while I'm transitioning. And they opened the doors of their home and their lives to me with open arms and totally embraced me. And they were the ones who originally educated me on all things Hawaiian and Polynesian um, because their family are practitioners of hula, of laymaking, of okay. all kinds of beautiful things in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And so I um I don't know if I would be the woman I am today without them and their guidance and leadership about what it means, you know, to be in Hawaii and mm-hmm. the beautiful history that encompasses this culture um for the last, you know, thousand years up until present day. So That's it was amazing. extraordinary to be part of their family of uh, daily life, you know, for three months. I was introduced to Hawaiian food. Oh yeah. I was introduced to the ocean by them. You know, if they were the mm-hmm. first people when I lived here that took me surfing. Um yeah, not surfing, but they just okay. took me to the water and, uh-huh. you know, kind of taught me, like, how to be in it, what to look for.
0: Mm. Um, and what do you look just, for? Are there things you can say? <laughs> There's something yeah. I think you can't say. Like, certain places only locals are allowed to know about. I remember that from my trip, which yeah, is fine. Yeah, well,
2: like – When you go to the ocean, you know, especially in Hawaii, one of the things that the locals will teach you is never turn your back on the ocean Mm. because we can have rogue waves and sets come through um, Mm. that can drag you out or you can get caught in the shore break and get in trouble in there. So they taught me all these things. They taught me about the shore break. They taught me about tides and currents and wind patterns. Mm -hmm. Like in Hawaii, we have the trade winds. And they taught me how the trade winds come in through the ocean and off the mountains and affect our weather patterns here. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have the volcano in Hawaii Island. That's one of the most active in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we get something called VOG that floats over and um, it can cause a little bit of like sinus irritation. So mm-hmm. they were just teaching me even place names were, was a huge part of my transition to living with them, like ha- learning how to say ko'olao and Olomana and Kalakaua, mm. all the street names and places are very hard
0: mm-hmm. if you've
2: never pronounced the Hawaiian language. Sure. So they taught me how to break down place names, what they meant, meanings mm. within the word, like ukulele. Yeah, like yeah. what I just did with you is what yeah. they did with me, but like every single day okay. with countless words. And oh. I had to learn like Kalakaua, which is the main boulevard in Waikiki, he was actually a king of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I went through and I had to learn all of these cultural components of mm-hmm. Hawaii those mm-hmm. first three months I lived here. And that Sweet. was all part of my growth and who I became today.
0: That's amazing. All right. So now what made you become the Curvy Surfer Girl brand? Yeah. The, the so icon.
2: It, oh gosh, y'all are too kind to me. <laughs> so I had been surfing for about three years mm-hmm. and as I'd mentioned, I'd started surfing at my heaviest. I was just over 210 pounds at Mm -hmm. five feet tall. Mm -hmm. And so I was definitely plus size. I was about a women's size 18. And I just remember how humiliating it was constantly trying to find stuff to surf in, Mm -hmm. um, that would never fit me. I would go into the big box stores. I would go into the mall. And I just felt really excluded because I didn't see anyone like me with my body type surfing. I didn't have, you know, a whole lot of options to go surfing in. Mm -hmm. And I would look around me and there were all these people that, you know, were wearing trendy, cute bikinis and one pieces and rash guards. And I was just like, well, because I'm fat, I guess I don't get to experience that. And I had just accepted it as reality for many years. Right. And I also am a free diver. And free diving is where you hold your breath and you dive down really deep. Yeah. I also didn't get to participate with owning a wetsuit because they don't make wetsuits in a size 18. So okay. I was like hypothermic, shivering in the water when I was doing my free diving training while everyone else got to wear cute bikinis or or. Uh, wetsuits in the winter when we were training,
0: right? Jesus. And
2: and I just once again I thought, well, you know, the reason you don't get to be like these other girls is because you're too heavy, and unless you lose weight, you'll never get to participate in these sports like they will.
0: Wait, so that sounds and, like that's sort of like a tape playing in your mind with like a very specific voice. And it was, do you feel like it was someone or something in your mind, or was it just a overall yeah. societal voice? Or is it? I more mean, specific I just felt like.
2: I just felt like that was my uh, fate. Unfortunately, it's like you mm. either get it—you get your act together and you lose weight, mm. or you don't get to have the same experiences as people around you. Okay. And I've been an athlete my entire life. I grew—I started doing sports in middle school, and I did sports all the way through college. Okay. And so you're trained as an athlete too you know, to meet that female archetype of an Mm -hmm. athlete, which is Mm -hmm. lean and strong and fit Mm -hmm. and fast.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And so when I gained weight as a result of an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. I didn't really have much control over it. And I fought really hard to try and meet that stereotype to be an athlete. I was Uh. like, And I knew that I couldn't, but I tried. I would skip meals. I would do, you know, extreme exercise to try to lose weight. But when you're in that space, that's just what you're told. Like, if you don't look like this, you're not performing well. And if you're not performing well, you don't get to be in this space. And so I kind of felt like me just existing in these ocean environments Mm -hmm. was already a bit scandalous as it was. Because I was literally the heaviest person in all of my friend groups, like no one was over a size six that mm-hmm. were doing these activities. I mean, it's very rare. Interesting that so th- so these and and even in the media, when you look at free diving and surfing, mm-hmm. all you ever see are very tiny, lean, petite women. And there's mm-hmm. not there's nothing wrong with them. They didn't right. cause this phenomenon to happen. This is right. a result of society's beauty expectations, right. and this is now what's expected in these spaces. Yeah. And so me just existing in them alongside, you know, these, these beautiful lean women were, it was almost, like I said, it was kind of scandalous. I was the heaviest one. And I just kind of felt like the black sheep, but Mm -hmm. I had accepted my role as the black sheep until Mm -hmm. one day I started following the body positivity movement. Mm
0: -hmm. And I start
2: seeing women that look just like me, size 14, 16, 18, 20, Mm -hmm. posing in swimsuits and lingerie Mm -hmm. and getting on the covers of magazines. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, these women are beautiful and they look like me and they're doing amazing things. Yeah. But once again, because of the way it was presented, I didn't really apply it to athletic spaces that Mm -hmm. I was in. I was like, well, you can be really beautiful in plus size, and you can be a swimsuit model, or you can be right. a fashion model, or you can right. be a lingerie model. Or Lizzo. But you're not. <laughs> yeah, or Lizzo, right? But this was even before Lizzo. Oh, wow. So okay. this was like five years ago. Yeah. Okay. We didn't have all these people.
0: Mm-hmm. So this
2: was at the very beginning of when it started getting popular around 2018. Uh-huh. Okay. This was about that time.
0: Who was your first body positive influence that you started My following? Act-
2: Genuinely, my best friend, Kiani, was my first. She actually was the one who blew open my mind with all of this. And then I started following people because she educated me about it. She's like, Elizabeth, you know, you look more like us than you do the more petite, straight sized models. Have you ever thought about, you know, what it would be like to be um, a plus size or body positive model athlete? And I was like, And in the beginning, I was very resistant to it because I was like, wait, wait,
0: that's a thing. (laughs) You're like, "Well, first of all,
2: I was like, no, I don't want to be associated with that because fat people are associated with being lazy and, Mm -hmm. you know, not Mm -hmm. coordinated and all these things. So in my brain, I was like, no, I don't want to be associated with that. Mm -hmm. But she worked on me and slowly helped me open my mind. And she was like, well, Elizabeth, you've been fighting your whole life to lose weight, but you still operate in athletic spaces. So doesn't that make you an athlete? And I'm like, well, I can't be an athlete in these spaces because I don't look like this and I don't surf like that. And I don't dive this deep or do that. And then eventually I started hitting all of those milestones.
0: Subconsciously, you were like, I'm not going to be the black sheep anymore.
2: And I'm like, wait, I just dove 60 feet. I just dove 80 feet. I just caught a dozen waves in a single surf session you know what? Maybe Keanu's onto something. Maybe there's an unconscious bias that I've been trained to believe that people that are heavier can't Mm -hmm. be athletes. Mm -hmm. But then I started asking myself, well, why can't we? Mm
0: -hmm. Who
2: the hell said we can't? And I had this entire revelation, like epiphany come to me. And I started following, um, Bailey She's Mm -hmm. got the Bailey P. Um, She's a big plus size uh, body positive influencer. Mm -hmm. I started following Ashley Graham to majors. Just so many uh, Kristen uh, Hernandez, I believe Christina Mm -hmm. Hernandez. There's Mm -hmm. so many extraordinary women I follow now that I didn't even know existed when I started searching for them. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And my, of course my Instagram page was full of like Kim Kardashian lookalikes. Right. So that was my, and not only her, but, you know, other elite athletes that were on Mm -hmm. like the covers of fitness magazines. Mm -hmm. So I was just constantly trying to be like them instead of accepting myself.
0: Well, that's the thing, right? It's like when we think body positivity, there's, there's been, um, there's been an interpretation of what it means to be plus size and sexy and, I'm I'm curious because actually if I go to one of your most recent posts that I was just looking at, right? Oh yeah, that's a I, good one. <laughs> I really love it and if you don't mind, I want to read it. All right, so there's a beautiful picture of her of Elizabeth in Honolulu and she's got this gorgeous black bikini and you're on the beach, your tan is out of out of this world beautiful and she's doing a come hither over the shoulder and it's like what she what you wrote was really beautiful she goes some people interpret the same pose as sexualized simply because i'm voluptuous and didn't smile so let me be clear hollywood and the media has done an exceptional job of sexualizing women with larger breasts and hips compared to straight-sized women so think of the headlines of sofia vergara versus kira knightley ...in a V-neck dress. The reality is, regardless of the expression on my face, interpreting my posing as sexualized in a curvy body is an unconscious, unconscious bias from decades of headlines that have communicated to the public, straight-sized bodies are classic, elegant, refined, etc., while curvy bodies are sensual, revealing, scandalous, tempting, exposing. Living in a curvy body, I've been advised to cover my chest more, wear looser clothing, wear full-coverage swim bottoms, otherwise my appearance may be inappropriate or distracting... And then you go on to say challenging these beauty standards and illuminating this unconscious bias is an opportunity to reexamine the existing narrative. So when we think about the sort of one side of the body positive movement and thinking to ourselves, it's so easy to misconstrue a full figured body as a Kim Kardashian thing, a BBL, if you will, because that's that look is not natural. Right. Like to me, to me, it's meant to look unnatural. And then. From what it looks like, they actually took out some of that po- portion of their bodies. Now, it doesn't look the same from what people are saying online, is that they reversed their BBLs. I don't know if you right. heard that.
2: But I-, I have heard that. And it actually affected me because I started thinking, I'm like, wow, are all of a sudden people going to think that my body now is uncool, unpopular? And you think about that when you're curvy, you know, because we couldn't uh, help but be born in these body types. Right, uh, but you know when people with lots of money do have the opportunity to shrink and expand themselves in certain places, mm-hmm. um, it does affect you know the quality of
0: our lives as well. Yeah, I'm sure it does, and 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 but like you said, body type—it's not a temporary thing. It's it's genetically wh- like who you are, and and it's it's also too that there's a Hige principle I recently read about, which is like. I keep miss, I misunderstand which culture it is, but it's, I think it's Nordic and it's the idea of like coziness and Ikea furniture. And like, (laughs) it's the, it's like the Nordic way of thought and why they have such a green, happy, like one of the happiest places to live kind of thing is like either in Norway or something and um, Sweden and all of those places. So it's the idea of thinking of your body as how strong can my body be? What can my body actually do rather than looking at it as a piece of skin to be like a piece of clothing at, that you're wearing? It's actually so much more empowering to think about like, just no matter what size you are, how strong can you possibly be? So yeah, that. that's
2: definitely my philosophy at this point in my life. And you know, to to build on that post, you know, what I was trying to say in there is there's a difference between viewing somebody as sexy and objectifying a person. Um Mm, because objectifying or considering something sexualized is a form of objectification. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of my message with sharing my body with the world and sharing what my body can do with the world um is not, you know, to make sure to make sure it's perceived as strong, healthy, fit, you know, sexy is fine. Sexy is up to the beholder but sexualized is a line that's crossed where Mm -hmm. it's no longer, you know, that's not okay. Like sexualizing me, objectifying me, regardless of, of my posing, unless I'm on all fours with my butt arched in the air, uh, that's not fair to me. It's Mm -hmm. it's not fair to sexualize or objectify me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so that's what that post was talking about. And it's a very feminist principle that hasn't really been explored too much, but the, but that the media has exploited, mm, um, especially yeah. with our body type.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to bring that up, and, and it's really great for you to, to kind of remark on that and, and, and know that that, that that doesn't take away from how hot you actually are. I mean, I think you're pretty hot so sorry. Thank you. Yeah,
2: no, I I, I mean, be, thinking someone is sexy, attractive, uh, hot, whatever, that's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's not making me a sexual object. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So there, you know, it's understanding that difference as someone who's participating in society and looking at each other.
0: Yeah, so I think there's also like, I've seen people posting things about the male gaze, like, like a lot of women were like, this is me when I used to dress for the male gaze. And like, this is me yeah, now dressing too. for the female gaze. So it is it is interesting. I think I think it, it does it can be talked about in terms of feminist principles, but now going forward. So, what are what are goals that you have? Because it sounds like to me that you're no stranger to advocacy with your time in DC and seeing probably like the good and the bad and also far in between. So, what are your goals? I mean, do you have goals beyond body positivity? Or are you are you looking towards you know trying to protect? Hawaii and in and, and terms of, you know, climate stuff that's happening and, and what, 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 do you, what would you like to do?
2: Yeah, I, I'm in love with all of that. Um, a lot of the stuff, you know, I do behind the scenes right now because I'm trying to build Curvy Surfer Girls still. Yeah. But, you know, one of the projects that I personally um, am interested in starting to learn about and try to become part of is restoring the Waikiki Natatorium, which is one of our historical sites. It was actually one of the first places Duke Hanamoku swam after he won the Olympics in 1924. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the, it's considered in the world, one of the most historical uh, places worth protecting. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, that's part of Hawaii Hawaiian culture. And I think that's something that I could use some positive influence to um, protect and maybe help get some public support behind restoring And then, of course, I love the environment. I love whales in particular. So anything I can do to support whale conservation Mm -hmm. is really big to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just continue to try to find ways to serve and use any influence I have for positivity. Another thing I'm interested in trying to do is host more retreats, both for women and young girls that have, um, you know, the intention of building confidence and strength, inner strength. Mm -hmm. through surfing. Um, a lot of this is just going to take help and development and infrastructure as things get bigger. I'm sure you understand trying to be a one woman show and do all of these things. Uh, it, it's like having the world on your shoulders sometimes.
0: Yeah. It's like you have the vision, you have the work ethic and you have the brand, but you don't have the time. And I, I have felt that more than ever now having these kids, but like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the kids or not. It's always just a finite amount of development time that you have. Yeah. And sometimes things can't be rushed because your brain just gets so... So so many things are going on in there that you need to synthesize things correctly and so it does take time but I've also realized that yes you do need help. So, so if people would like to come and sort of help you build a curvy surfer girl surf camp. I mean, how yeah. cool would that be? I mean That's that's my goal. Like I yeah. would love
2: to partner up, you know, with a surf school. I know that there's like surfer girls in Maui and they have uh big productions like that. So it's just going to be a matter of like getting some people together to yeah. help me mastermind it and execute it yeah. um, because right now I'm in the midst of uh, building an entire collection. We're actually going to be launching the most size inclusive performance swimwear collection with oh, JoLynn next that's year.
0: Amazing. And that's that amazing. was,
2: that has been a personal goal of mine for years. Like I wanted to develop something that my best friend, she's a Forex And I said, I want to develop something that both her and I can wear to go do all the things in the ocean we love, whether it's surfing or free diving or playing beach volleyball, taking our dogs to the beach and throwing the ball down. I want us to have the same opportunity to be in the ocean doing what we love with Mm -hmm. performance swimwear that's made to support our bodies. So when so
0: when is that going live? When is that shoppable? So
2: we're hoping to launch that early next year, uh oh, spring of 2023. And in okay. the meantime, I, this was part of my announcement for going to New York too. Mm-hmm. I've actually been consulting with their expert design team at Joe Lynn mm-hmm. to bring some of their current styles into a 3X. Oh, and so fun. we just did three swimsuits. We did two bikini tops and a bottom, mm-hmm. and I helped them engineer it for up to a 3X body type so that we can go surfing and do some more high-impact water activities in those. And as we keep going, I'm going to keep helping them expand more and more options until we get to my line in the spring of next year.
0: Oh, that's so cool. You are so cool. Um, Oh, you're just too kind. I'm just really really
2: driven to do this. It affects our lives, like, substantially. I mean, people don't... If you're not curvy, you're not experiencing this. And so I can get why some people may not understand it. But if you have a double triple D chest and you're trying to wear something that just covers your nipples Mm -hmm. and you're going on a surfboard, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to have better options or, you know, sometimes you don't want to just wear an oversized men's rash guard that's humiliating Mm -hmm. and you feel Mm -hmm. left out. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to bring options to the table that no matter where in the United States or the world you are, if you mm-hmm. want to go on a boat and go jet skiing or mm-hmm. hydroplaning or whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you've got something to wear that's going to hold you in and keep you secure to do it.
0: I love that though. I really do. And you know what? I know I've always been on the very petite like side, but I will tell you this. I jumped up, okay, from um, – okay, so I was admittedly very, 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 very thin, when I got pregnant with my first uh, daughter, I was probably a like a in between a zero and a two, and to me that was on the thinner side. But I was going through a rough time. Now after you know I, I got sober or like I stopped drinking, right? And then like I had my baby and I gained all the weight I ever would wanted to. I got I had an appetite again, and so for a long time I struggled with anxiety and not having an appetite and lots of stuff, right? And then. So for me, it was like the other way. And I just didn't have very good nutrition, which I still kind of fight with. But I gained all this wonderful weight. And I was like, "Ooh!" I was like, I'm a woman now. Like I had my baby (laughs) and like, I got these boobies and I'm like, "Ooh!" I got curves. And I really liked it. And then it started to go away. And I realized I didn't want it to go away. And so then I was at 125 and I was like, okay, like I don't want to get any thinner. And so I ended up getting pregnant again. And then you know, I had even more fun with my appetite and stuff like that. So my body changed. I jumped. I'm i si- I'm like a four in, between a four and a six now. So oh, for yeah. me, you know what I mean. Like like I do. No, I get it.
2: From a zero to a six is a, in you like know, f- you know like flat yeah four sizes.
0: And I'm not going. And my body has changed too. Like I'm approaching. 40 now I know I'm 31 it's wild (laughs) (laughs) wow I really oh my god I was like with the way that you talked about your life I was like wait she looks so young I was like is she is she older you've lived really truly a million (laughs) lives in your 31 years well anyway thank you for sharing and like I know we can find you at um obviously can you like throw your shout out of yourself like flex yourself for us like where can we find you (laughs)
2: Sure. Uh, If you want to follow along, curvy surfer girl on Instagram, TikTok, and I have a website. Um, You can always DM me or go into the comments. I personally manage all of that. So you're talking to me if you're messaging me. Um, And I'm just stoked to welcome you to the environment. Honestly, everybody of every size is welcome. That is a huge mission that um, I want to point out. Like it doesn't matter if you're super petite or you're plus size. You know, while we're trying to gain more traction for plus size women in surfing, um, you know these kind of patriarchal values have negatively affected the body image of millions of women, and so this is a women's empowerment space, and we welcome you to be one of our newest curvy surfer girls if you'd like to.
0: Yay! Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being on Vulnerable Podcast. I, it was truly an honor, and I can't wait to to schedule uh, a, a trip out to come and see you and serve. Please do, please <laughs> do. I I'll promise.
2: You've got to see, I pinned it. If you look at the girl in the yellow swimsuit, uh-huh. um, she had, she didn't believe that she could surf either. And if you look at her, she's surfing and having the time of her life. Okay. So I would love to, uh, you know, invite you out here to come surfing.
0: Okay. So she's on your feet and, and you pinned it on TikTok yes. or, or Instagram? both actually, okay. but
2: Instagram is it's pinned at the top and right. she is just, she was a dream. So go check that out. And if you think you can't surf, uh, she also thought the same thing. And there she is surfing. Oh, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being on. We love you. Thank you. We love you, too. (laughs) Aloha. (laughs)
0: Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version.